All right, so today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series through the book of Jonah, and we're going to be talking about our heart and God's, our heart and God's. Let me pray for us one more time, then we'll get going. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to be still and know that you are God. Lord, we do get so busy, God, and wound up. Um, and maybe it was a little bit like that for Mary and Joseph having to travel across Israel, no place to stay, nine months pregnant. And then the voice of God crying like a baby breaks the silence. amazing glory what a gift so help us lord in the midst of it all not to lose sight of what you have done for us speak lord your servants are listening in jesus name amen we're going to be in jonah chapter four this morning jonah chapter four and as we wrap up this uh, book we're going to see God's heart for the nations, and we're going to have our own hearts exposed as we see how more often than not, our hearts are more like Jonah's than they are like God's. But what a great lesson that we have to learn today about God's heart for those who, from a human perspective, are far off from him. Uh, there's an opportunity to learn about how to reach those who we might otherwise think would never come to God. And this is why I wanted to preach through the book of Jonah uh, this holiday season um, as we uh, strive to give generously to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every day, including today, all over the world. Southern Baptists, people, men and women, just like you and me, who one day sat in the pews at their church and believed that God was calling them to proclaim Christ among peoples who have little to no gospel witness. And so they obeyed the call. Again, people just like you and me. They obeyed the call. They were sent by their church, sent by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and go and are taking Christ to this very day to the world. And we participate, we get to participate directly in that through our gifts. And we've learned about that some through the story of Jonah here. Uh, rather than running to Tarshish like Jonah did, these brothers and sisters have run to the Ninevehs that God has appointed for them to proclaim God's word and God's message. And as I said before, we have a message to preach that's greater than Jonah's message because we get to preach the message of the one who is greater than Jonah. Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to look today at our heart and God's from Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God had appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from, the discomfort, from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of God. You may be seated. We're going to look again at two main things today. Number one, our heart. And number two, God's heart. Our heart and God's heart. First, we're going to look at our heart. In verse 1 there, in Jonah chapter 4, it says that this thing displeased Jonah exceedingly. So, of course, the question is, well, what is it that displeased Jonah exceedingly? Well, if you just look one verse up, in chapter 3, verse 10, what it says is it says, When God saw what they did, that is, what the Ninevites' repentance, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And so, when you read that, you're thinking, did I just read that correctly? Yes, you read that correctly. Jonah was angry because God forgave the Ninevites. He was mad at God's mercy. And in fact, we learn that this is why Jonah wanted to run. It, it, takes, it took us four chapters to get there. And if, you've, if you ever read, uh, maybe you remember or not, but the first time you read Jonah, you know, it, it kind of leaves you in suspense. Well, what's the big deal? Why is Jonah so bent out of shape? And you don't find out, I think intentionally, until you get to the end of the book in chapter 4 where he says, is this uh, verse 2 there? Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I went, was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So what's really going on here is we, we found out why Jonah ran from Nineveh to Tarshish. He ran because Jonah knew that God would show mercy to undeserving people. That's why Jonah ran. It's remarkable. It's shocking. This, brothers and sisters, is the ancient sin of Pharisaism. And the danger of being a Pharisee 
is if you are one, you don't know it. Because that's how it works. Pharisaism is the ancient proverb that says, mercy for me, but not for thee. It's deadly and it's dangerous because no one thinks that they're a Pharisee, but here it is. And I'm going to say it because it's important for you to know in case you did it. Everybody has a Pharisee living inside of them. Every single one of us has a Pharisee living inside of us. For Jonah, it was the Ninevites. It was those wicked Assyrians. And if we're honest, and we should be, with a little thought, we can really sympathize with Jonah. We really can. The Assyrians were cruel people. They raided and attacked Israel. They pillaged, plundered, raped, tortured. Perhaps Jonah personally knew people that had suffered at their hands. That's very possible. And then one day, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Go and tell them that judgment is coming. Now, at first glance, we may, you know, at first glance, we may think, oh, well, you know, here's Jonah's chance to really tell those Assyrians what he thinks, what God thinks of, of them, right? Jonah might have liked it at first, at first blush. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell those Assyrians what the deal is, and God's going to go all fire and brimstone on their tails and wear them out. But there's a, the problem is, is that when God told Jonah to go tell them his message, there was a catch in Jonah's heart. What was Jonah's problem? The problem was is that Jonah knew God too well. He knew God too well, and he knew that when God told him to go to the Ninevites, in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, it's a trap. God's going to trap me because I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go, and I'm going to preach God's judgment, and they're going to repent and God's going to forgive them, and then i got to come back home and tell all my buddies how God used me to forgive our worst enemies. It's a trap. Mercy for me, but not for thee. And God help us, the truth is that there's a Jonah inside of all of us. Everybody who sins in a different way than we do. We say, man, how could they do that? Something bad happens to someone and, and we think, oh, well, you know, they kind of had that coming. We can even excuse ourselves, you know. That there's someone and from a human perspective, like we have the Ninevites here, they seem really far from God. You know what? You're just like, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with that person because they, they, they'll, they, they're not going to come to Jesus. Well, somebody probably said that about you one time. Are we Christians because we're better or smarter than anybody else? We're Christians, if we're a Christian this morning, it's because of the sheer grace and mercy of God. As I always say, the whole point of heaven, there's only, there will only be one person there who deserves to be there. Everybody else is there because of grace. Including me and you. Now, of course, there's some great evil out there. 
And there are people who have done some cruel and wicked things. Maybe even to you or to someone that you love. And so it is a warning that we must beware the very human feeling that wants us to say that sure, God can forgive me, but I'm not sure how God can forgive them. And that's a very natural and very human feeling. We have to remember that forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. When God forgives you of your sin, he's not saying your sin was okay. When you forgive somebody else, you're not saying that whatever they did was okay. In fact, it's just the opposite, right? Sin is so heinous, it's so evil, that God had to send his own son to die a cruel death on a cross to atone for it. That tells you that sin is a big deal. It's not a small deal. It took the death of the Son of God to forgive your sin. So God's just not winking at sin. He's not, he's not sweeping it under the rug. His forgiveness is not saying that it was okay. He's saying that it took the very death of my own son to make it right so that I could forgive you. But here's the rub when it comes to God's mercy. And that is that if we understand it at all, we have to be willing to say that if God can forgive me, that's got to mean he also can forgive anybody. Peter publicly denied Jesus three times. Paul had Christians arrested and killed. John Newton, the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace, was a slave trader. The whole point of grace and what makes grace so amazing, as the song says, is that because of grace, you are... Your life isn't ultimately defined by who you used to be, but by who Jesus Christ is making you to be. Jonah got mad at God because he forgave people that he thought didn't deserve it. And so God used a little enacted parable to teach Jonah a lesson. Jonah goes outside the city and he builds a booth, which is kind of like, you know, like a little lean-to or kind of shelter. And it's hot out there, okay? And he's sitting there and he's watching the city. And, you know, he, he knows what's going to happen. But he's just kind of sitting out there just thinking, I'm just going to sit here and maybe hoping against hope that God's going to wipe him out anyway. And the longer he waits and the, the, the longer fire and brimstone doesn't rain from heaven, the madder he gets. Now, it's interesting, right, because Jonah preached this message to the Ninevites, and he saw their repentance. He saw them get on their faces and fast and pray and weep and mourn and beg God for mercy. Now, most, most preachers today, <laughs> you show up in a city the size of Macon, and you just start preaching the gospel, and then the whole city repents and get on their faces and begs for God's mercy. You would say, wow, this is awesome. And Jonah's mad. 
He's mad about the whole thing. Hoping against hope that God would still wipe them out. And, and yet, as he's sitting there in the sun, it says, God appointed a plant for shade for Jonah. And so, again, we just point out this major theme in the book of Jonah of God's sovereignty over every little situation. God appointed the fish. God appointed the storm. God appointed this plant. He's going to appoint the worm. And then he's going to appoint the, 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 the scorching heat. God's teaching Jonah a lesson. He gave Jonah the plant in order to take it away. Because Jonah needed to learn something. God appointed the worm to kill the plant that was giving him shade. And then he got mad about the plant. Okay? And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like a person that's got uh, a bad attitude, right? They got their feelings hurt and then they walk away and stub their toe and then the, then the plant, then their favorite plant dies. Well, it's like, you know, what else could go wrong? That's like Jonah. He got his feelings hurt. Now his plant's dead. I want to die. Just kill me, God. And God just speaks to Jonah's heart. Jonah, you feel sorry for that plant. And you did nothing for that plant. It just popped up out of the ground. It's just a plant. And you feel sorry for that little plant. And you can't work up an ounce of pity for 120,000 people made in the image of God. Who don't know me. You know, some people treat their pets better than they treat other people. Jonah loved that plant more than he loved that whole city. And that's a shame. Mercy for me, but not for thee. So we need to remember today that nobody and no one is beyond the grace of God. Including me and including you, including us. We must learn to see people as God sees people. We must learn to care about, we must learn to value things as God values them. And we'll get so bent out of shape about our own comfort and not care about people. And this is the lesson that we needed to, to learn from Jonah. That no one's beyond the grace of God. And when we proclaim Christ, they too just might repent and believe like the Ninevites did. So number one, our heart. And then number two, we see God's heart from this passage. We see God's heart. Again, Jonah said, uh, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee the Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So, like John Newton said, we should never cease to be amazed with the grace of God. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And that's how God is. God is, God is patient. He's just, but He's also patient. And the two aren't opposed to each other. 
And since God, the Bible says over and over in multiple places that God is slow to anger. So it's no surprise then, right, in James 1.19, for example, where, where James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're supposed to be slow to anger. Why? Because God is slow to anger. Doesn't mean he never gets angry, but it means he's slow to get angry. Right? We get upset when we're wrong. We get angry when we see the injustices in this world. That's not necessarily wrong. We can't, you can't love what is right and be indifferent to wrong. All right? Nevertheless, as angry as we might get at sin committed against us and sin we see in the world, we, we can't forget that God hates sin more than we do. God sees sin much more clearly than we do. We watch the news, we see something going on, we just, it's horrible. All right? God sees that, and he sees the things that you don't see. He sees the things you'll never see. He sees a million, billion evils committed that no one will ever find out this side of eternity. And he sees it. And, he, and he, he's not happy about it. And you say, well, you know, and, that's, and by the way, this is one of people's greatest objections, uh, some people's greatest objections to God. How could there be a good God if all, these e- all this evil in the world is the problem of evil? But see, here's the, here's, the, here's the problem with the problem of evil. The problem of evil is, if you want God to take evil out of the world, Here's the problem. He's going to take you out too. Unless your heart is perfectly pure and you have never committed any evil against somebody else, you better be ready for God to take you out when he takes evil out. God sees everything, including the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He sees farther than the Hubble telescope. He sees with more precision than an electron microscope. His perfect holiness, which is far greater than ours, burns with the, with the heat of a thousand suns against sin. And he's still patient toward people. God sees it and he's still patient. Why? Because the Bible says he's slow to anger. And so if you're going to be like God, you have to be slow to anger too. God sees it. He sees it all. And the Bible talks about this, about God, the, the point of God's patience. Uh, just a couple of passages here worth, worth ruminating over. Romans 2, verse 1. This is Paul talking about hypocrisy. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches and kindness of forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's what, this is what Paul is saying. He's talking to Jews, so in Romans 1, Paul has just pointed out these 
these these evil sins that people commit, and he's imagining a Jewish reader who's reading what he's writing, and, and he can see in their mind that this Jew is probably like, yeah, Paul, tell them, tell them nasty, dirty Gentiles, tell them to get their act together. And then Paul just turns to chapter 2 and says, oh, and by the way, you who think you got your act together, you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? That's, many Jews did. Many people did. And sometimes Christians can too. Well, you know, God's going to forgive me. Well, mercy for me, but not for thee. And God says, no, God is patient. Yes, God's judgment is going to come against sin. But God is patient because God's kindness is meant to lead people to repentance. And that's the whole point. Why does God, why is God so patient? Why does God sit there and allow all this evil to be committed in the world? Well, he's waiting, he's giving people time and opportunity to repent. And you can rest assured that if they don't repent, all sin will be judged perfectly by a perfect and righteous judge who knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. This is what Peter, again, Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Peter said, do not overlook, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. That's what some people think. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Guys, 2,000 years ago, people were asking, where is Jesus? Why is he taking so long? 2,000 years ago. And Peter says, look, a 1,000 years is as one day, and one day is as a 1,000 years. So, you know, in God's sight, it's about the same as it's been two days since Jesus ascended. It's not a concern to God. Why would God wait 2,000 years? Because he's given time for what? For the gospel to be proclaimed to the whole world. So that people would have time and opportunity to repent and be saved from what? From the judgment that's coming. It will come like a thief, Jesus said. God is patient. There is evil in the world. But never forget, there's also evil in our own hearts. And this is a this is a this is a crucial lesson for 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 that every christian must take to heart and that is the greatest the 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 the, the evil that the, the the sin that is most dangerous to you is the sin of your own heart every time god could deal with sin by taking everybody out right now but he doesn't because he's patient. He's slow to anger. 
He gives them time and opportunity to come to their senses, like the prodigal son, right, who uh, squandered all the family wealth and just abandoned his family. And uh, when, when he did that, the father could have just immediately scratched him out of the family tree right now. Well, you know, he's gone. He's out of the picture forever. But he didn't. He waited. He waited patiently for his son to come home. God is slow to anger. He's patient. So we must be patient with others. God forgave us, so we must forgive others. We must have a heart like God that's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So Jonah knew. He knew God's heart. And God himself testifies to his own heart in the last two verses there, uh, verse 10 and 11. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being for a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? You see, Jonah pitied the plant, but he couldn't pity people. And that shows how that shows how greatly the human heart has fallen. It shows how much sin affects our vision. And we just we all have to admit that it, it it has been and can be true of all of us. That we can pity plants and things more than we can people. God had created these Ninevites, and yes, they were far from him, and yes, they had wicked and cruel practices, and no, God wasn't overlooking any of their sin, and nevertheless, despite all that, God still had compassion for them. He still had pity for them. And he says, uh, it says that, that they did not know their right hand from their left. And so a lesson for us here is that the basic posture of our heart towards people who don't know Jesus is one of compassion. That should be the basic posture of our heart. It doesn't, I mean, it, yes, we don't, we don't condone evil and wickedness. Yes, if some great evil is committed, you know, we're not happy about it. But at the same time, we cannot expect non-Christians to act like Christians. How many of you acted like a Christian before you came a Christian? Probably not many. Salvation is a supernatural work of God. It is affected by the Holy Spirit who enters our hearts when we hear the gospel and opens our eyes to see sin for what it is and to see Jesus for who He is. And when we see Jesus for who He is, we are we are saved. And the Spirit enters into us and He changes us. And when a person is saved and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of them, they are going to change. They are going to change. And they will, and they are saved not because they change, they change because they're saved. And so we shouldn't be surprised when a non Christian sins any more than we should be surprised when we sin. But we should, we should have compassion. There's a genuine compassion that we should have for people's souls. 
Jonah should have looked on the Ninevites, and yes, even with all their wicked and cool practices, and even all the heinous things they did against the nation of Israel, he should have he should have been hopeful and and and, and held out that you know if I preach and they repent, God will show mercy to them, and he should have been happy about it. But he wasn't. God looked down on the Ninevites and he had compassion on them. They didn't know the truth and needed someone to tell them. And so he sent Jonah to tell them the truth. And they repented. And God forgave them. It's a posture that we learn from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Where the Apostle Paul said, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So you, there's two ways to look at the world. You can say mercy for me and not for thee. Or you can be like the Apostle Paul who said, if God can show mercy for me, I guarantee he can show it for thee. It's a complete opposite way of looking at it. Paul said, essentially, basically what Paul is saying here is he's saying, God saved me for this exact purpose, to show the world that he could save anybody. I was a blasphemer. I persecuted Christians. I had them arrested and killed. And God saved me. So if God can save me, don't worry. You're going to be okay. If you trust him. And what does he say? He says, I'll receive mercy, verse 13, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. You see, he didn't know. And that's what God said about the Ninevites. He said they don't know their right hand from their left. We shouldn't be surprised when an unbeliever sins. Many people act certain ways, and guess what? That may be the only thing they know. The example from their parents or friends or TV or whatever. There's, there's an unbelievable number of people, if you're willing to believe it, who've never had one single sincere Example of a Christian life. And so we have the responsibility and the privilege to be that example. To show them that God has plenty of mercy, both for me and for thee. 
We get to proclaim the one who is greater than Jonah. We can look on other people who may look different, who may think differently, who may act differently. And we can have compassion. And we can love them and we can serve them and we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And let them know that what God did for us, He can do for them. This is what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is about. God looked down at the mess of the world. And it's always been a mess. It's always been a mess. And God looked down at the the mess of the world. He looked down at the mess of the human heart. Right? God has seen you at at your worst. He's known the worst thoughts that have ever entered your mind. And if, you're on, and if we're all honest, there's been some pretty bad ones. And God, and God knows that for every single human being who's ever lived. And he still said, I'm sending my son for that. And this is what the Lottie Moon season for us is about. That God has appointed that there will be forgiven people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That God has appointed that the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations, and only then the end will come. It's a testimony of Christmas. It's a testimony of Jesus Christ who came to bring mercy to us all. It's a testimony to have compassion on a lost and dying world that they too might know the mercy that we have found in Jesus Christ. This this is God's heart. And we need to pray that it becomes ours too. To look out on Nineveh with 120,000 people, whatever Nineveh is to us, and to see Souls made in the image of God who need Jesus. And I believe when we do that, we'll start seeing what Jonah saw. And that is people coming to know his Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to learn from you. The Bible says, Lord, that you looked out upon the crowds, many of whom, Lord, were only there just to see a miracle. Many of whom, Lord, were only there hoping that you would give them something to eat. And yet, when you looked out on the crowd, Lord Jesus, it says that you had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, to, to, to be the answer to the prayer which you commanded us to pray, saying, lift up our eyes and see, see the field that is white for harvest. Lord, to have compassion 
on those who were lost and without you. To be an example of love and faith and righteousness that in us, Lord, they might see a picture of you. That from our lips, they might hear that the mercy of God has come near through Jesus Christ. It came near that fateful Christmas day 2,000 years ago when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, this is what Christmas is about. So even today, this very day, Lord, as we go out and about and go on in our busy lives and we see people all around, Lord, help us to see them as you see them. With eyes of compassion and with hearts of love because there's plenty of mercy to go around. We love you and give you praise in Jesus' name.